Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're going to go right to our first guest, James Roguski. He's going to talk to us about something we focused on with Congressman Michelle Bachman. Uh, we had um, Dr. Labo on earlier to talk about this, but it's such a critical topic. And uh, we're on a short fuse on this as a nation. And the issue is not merely the treaty, but the amendments of the World Health Organization. So when we use the name WHO, World Health Organization, what that stands for. When you and I think of the 193 member nations of the United Nations, for example, we think of the individual sovereignty of each nation. That's the way we conceive it. We think of the sovereignty of the United States. Well, by what is about to happen, unless it can be stopped, the sovereignty of our country is about to be lost. Does that sound like uh, hyperbole, melodrama? I don't think so. Let's go to our guest and we'll find out more about it. James Roguski, how did you... Give us a little bit of your background. How did you discover the reality of what the United States is facing right now and the other nations of the world regarding this? Um, well, you know, back in January of 2022, about a year and a half or so ago, um, true story, you asked a question. So here's here's how I find myself here. Um, I was working in my yard, which is a little bit of a food forest. I've got a tiny little yard, but I've got many fruit trees and I try to grow as much food as I can. So having a wonderful day working in my garden. I stopped and I've done this a handful of times in my life. And so I did it again. I just looked up to the sky and I said, God, I, I volunteer. If there's anything that you want me to do, I'll do it. Now, at times in the past, it's hit me like a bolt of lightning. You know, an idea flashes in your head and you're off to the races. Well, this one had a little bit of a time delay attached to it. Uh, fast forward a couple of, of months, um, I had done a large amount of research and I published an article about all of the proposals for what everyone was calling the pandemic treaty. I published that. And then the very next day, uh, I published the people's treaty.com. And that was like, well, if you guys want to make a treaty to govern the world, you know, I have some things that I feel should be in there. So I published that. And, you know, I thought I was kind of done with that. But a couple of days later, I got dragged out of bed at four in the morning by some force that just compelled me to go searching for something. I searched for some different things. And I found a blog that said, we have obtained this document. And the word document was hyperlinked. So I clicked on the link. I started reading the document. And that document was had been submitted a couple of months prior in January by the Biden administration. And it was the proposal to amend 13 articles of the international health regulations. So, you know, I knew that the regulations existed because I had done all this research, but that was all about a potential new treaty. This was something very, very different. This was changing existing regulations that were originally put into place in 1969 and then amended in, in 2005. I got to a certain point in the document, and that's when the lightning bolt hit me. I was like, oh, this looks like an assignment. This looks like something I could do, I could work on. And so from that point forward, I've been trying to spread the word. Um, very shortly after that, the WHO had a public comment period in early April, and I spread the word about it. We got 33,884 people to submit public comments to the WHO, and they buried those comments until August. You know, 99.9% .9 of the comments were, we don't want a treaty. And, and so, um, you know, the blessings have just kept coming. Shortly thereafter, I picked up the phone one day, and I go, hi, this is Jim, how can I help you? And the person on the other line says, hi, this is Michelle Bachman, I've got a couple of questions. And so that was the beginning of our relationship. She kept me on the phone for three hours and wanted to know everything, right? And um, somewhere in early April as well, when I gave a presentation about this, one of the people in the audience was Dr. Rima Labo. And we've become fast friends. We meet on a regular basis numerous times a week. And, you know, we're all working together to, number one, 
raise everyone's awareness, but also, you know, what is it we do to push back against all of this? And I've got many things, you know, that I can share uh, about both of those issues. So walk us through the difference. Well, walk us through what is the World Health Organization? What is this treaty? And what are these amendments and why should we be concerned? Well, the WHO, um, we joined the WHO, the United States did, um, in 1948. It's, it's an organization, obviously, that is tied to the United Nations. And one thing to understand about them is they have their own constitution. It's quite unusual. Not too many organizations have a constitution, the WHO constitution. And so in 1948 is when I think a big mistake was made. And if you actually want to deal with all of the symptoms that are going on with the WHO and their policies and their proposed um, you know, international agreements that they're trying to implement or change, you got to go back to the cause. And, and the cause, I'll take you all the way back to um, the founding fathers and the Constitution. When the Constitution was written and accepted and adopted, that the states, the colonies at the time, you know, the 13 original states, gave away some powers to the federal government. But very clearly, they did not give away authority to the federal government over health care. And so when the federal government passed a joint resolution in 1948, accepting membership in the WHO and the WHO constitution, they did not have the authority to give to the WHO. Now, maybe if they had passed a constitutional amendment back in 1948 and everyone had gone through that proper procedure and said, oh, okay, we're gonna hand over this authority. We, the people, give it to the WHO. No, they didn't do that. They didn't even pass a treaty with advice and consent from the Senate. They passed a joint resolution that was signed by Harry Truman on June 14th. And that's where the biggest problem was because it took authority away from the people and gave it to the executive branch to choose the delegate and conduct all of this business dealing with health outside of the proper constructs of the three branches of government. So the way you fix that is you exit the WHO. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit, but that's where the problem started. With so we get a joint, a joint resolution. Uh, this wasn't an executive order by Truman. Correct. The joint resolution of a House and the Senate. Correct. And and so they passed that, and he signed that into law. Is that Correct. right? And it essentially exceeded the authority of the federal government. Even Javier Becerra was interviewed in Aspen, Colorado, a couple of months ago. And the very first question, he's the Secretary of Health and Human Services currently. The very first question that the interviewer asked was, what would you like the Americans to know about the Department of Health and Human Services? And his response was, we don't have authority over health. That's a state and, and a personal issue. They know that they don't have authority, but they use bluster and propaganda and coercion through money, right? You know, they give away money and, and they want the states and you know local governments to do what they want to do, but that's not based on constitutional authority. It's financial coercion, right? You know, oh, you're gonna lose your job if you don't do this, that sort of thing. And so to continue to answer your previous questions, the international health regulations were agreed to in 1969 by all of the member nations. And then they were dramatically changed or amended in 2005. And so we've been living under them, you know, almost my entire life. I was nine years old in 1969. What they do currently is not all that bad. The only obligation that we agreed to under the current international health regulations is to set up an office in every nation has set up an office in their internal government called the National IHR Focal Point. So if any nation looks up, you know, they have that office in their government. I feel that back in 19, I'm sorry, 2005, when that was instituted, 
That's when the WHO infiltrated every government on the planet because that office is obligated to report 24-7 what's going on in our country to the WHO. And so the proposed amendments, the, the current document, the IHR, is an 84-page document, but only about 60 of those pages are the actual agreement. And they've submitted 197 pages with 307 proposed amendments. 94 of the 194 nations have submitted all of these changes that are, you know, many of them are egregious in nature to, to a document. I mean, they're rewriting the whole thing in secret. And that's really the problem. They, they've let us know back in December of last year what the original submissions were, but they've had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting in secret. So at this point in time, we, we have no way of knowing what they're proposing to adopt. Now, what's going to happen in the near future with these proposed amendments is just one of four tracks, and hopefully we have time to talk about all four. They want to have a meeting in October, a meeting at the end of November and December, and then they plan to submit that to the International Health Regulations Review Committee before Christmas. It'll be reviewed. Let me break in for, I just apologize for breaking in for just one moment. I want you to just freeze frame, remember right where you are if you can. But I want you to go up to the 35,000 foot level right now to the person who's listening who has never heard of any of this. They barely know what the World Health Organization is. And tell me in, in, in layman's terms, why is what you're describing right now a bad thing for us? And then come back and go and move through the weeds again. In, in, in terms of just the amendments, okay, um, as opposed to what people call the treaty, what's hiding in the amendments is this is an old school physical version of a vaccine passport, okay, a little form that you can fill out. Um, my girlfriend traveled back in 1970-something, and she still has that. Um, there is a movement that they're working on currently building what they call the Global Digital Health Certification Network. Now, this is not in what people call the treaty. This is in the amendments that have been proposed, just to keep that very, very clear. They don't want to just have a vaccine certificate. They want a prophylaxis certificate, a testing certificate, a recovery certificate. They want everybody to get a personal QR code so that they can track and trace your every move whenever you want to travel about the planet. That's just, you know, one subset of 300 plus, you know, amendments. The hidden thing that's buried in all of the really boring language is in really both agreements. They want to spend $30 billion a year to build out what I call the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex so that they can search under every rock, you know, in every hospital with every person who gets a swab put up their nose or when your dog or your cat or you take them to the veterinarian's office or if you've got a chicken coop and they want to check the bedding to see if there's bird flu. They want to be searching all over the world looking for pathogens that have pandemic potential. And that word potential is very important because they want to be able to declare an emergency, not when people are sick and dying, but when they find something that is potentially problematic. Then they want to take that pathogen, share it with this newly constructed, newly built and financed um, network of laboratories and, you know, do gain of function research on it to see what they can do to make it more pathogenic, more transmissible, and then monetize it by making drugs or jabs to treat a potential problem and, and then make it so that, you know, people are, are then have to get you know, more injections. There's a, a Dr. Rima Labo, Labo points out that in one of the UN documents, you know, they propose before 2030, 500 new injections. I refuse to call them vaccines. So the, the problem is subtly buried in very boring language. This really reads like a financial venture capital prospectus 
They want us, we the people, to spend billions of dollars to build out the pharmaceutical network that would find problems that don't necessarily currently exist and turn them into drugs to treat those problems before you know something happens. And you know, none of this is talking about the mistakes that were made over the past three or four years. None of this is talking about, you know, the heroic work of many doctors around the world to push back against what government was making them do and actually do the things that brought people back to health. Uh, you know, early treatments and treatments with essential medications and herbs and vitamins and minerals. No, 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 no. That's not even on the table. These negotiations started when some of the nations um, realized that the wealthy nations were hogging up all of the vaccine contracts. And they were upset at the time when people maybe still believed that the jabs were going to provide a benefit. And what we're really dealing with is not negotiation about our health. We're dealing with a trade argument. We're, we're, we're dealing with a trade dispute. The poorer nations want access to intellectual property. They want access so that they can build factories and laboratories and, and whatever in their home country so that the money flows to their people to make more poisonous drugs and jabs. And so if anybody thinks that these folks who are negotiating these want anything other than more control and more money to make more poison, right? They're, they're not negotiating how to make people healthier. And so to get back to where I dropped off, you, you told me to remember, I think I did. Um, they're going to submit these amendments to an International Health Regulations Review Committee, um, probably before Christmas, because it has to be submitted to the WHO four months in advance of their next meeting on, in May of 2024. And so that's mid-January. And so they're doing all of this with the amendments in secret, and there's no public comment, there's no, you know, discussion, there's no debate in, in allowed really anywhere. But that's only one of the tracks, okay? Another track is the United Nations on September 20th, coming up very soon, uh, is planning on adopting what they call a, a political declaration for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. They've been negotiating that completely in secret for a year. Most people are unaware, and nobody is talking about the fact that last year, 2022 in May, even though the Biden administration's amendments were pretty much kicked to the curb and, and not even discussed, a group of nations, including the United States, got together and submitted a different package of amendments, which were adopted. Now, here's where everybody's brain just sort of freezes. Those amendments have not been discussed in the Senate, and they're not going to be, because the process that has long been agreed upon is when the unelected, unaccountable, unknown delegates go to Geneva every May and decide to amend the international health regulations, they don't have to send them back to each country to be approved. And so the amendments that were adopted last May have until December 1st of 2023, about three months from now, to be rejected. You don't approve them, but you can reject them. Well, I'm pretty darn sure that the Biden administration who submitted the second batch as well as the first batch that got rejected, I'm pretty sure they're not planning to reject it because they're the ones who submitted it. And so the problem is this massive amount of amendments that are moving through secretly now, if people think that those are going to come back to the Senate for the Senate's advice and consent, they got a whole nother guest coming. That's not the process for the amendments. And so we need to speak up. moment. The reason that's not is because they bypassed the notion of a treaty and a treaty has to be approved by the Senate. But the amendments don't have to be approved by the Senate, correct? Um, there's a difference in view, and I will absolutely agree 
with everyone, if we talk about how things should be based on the Constitution and the Founding Fathers' intent, okay? Total agreement that any of these foreign entanglements should have to get advice and consent from the Senate. That's how it should be. But I'm here to tell you how it is and how it has been for probably 200 years now. There are tens of thousands of agreements where the president just signs off on it or, or whatever. And you know our nation is viewed as participating in these agreements. With the amendments, it doesn't even need a presidential signature. He sent his delegate to the WHO last year, and it was our delegate, Colin McGiff, who headlined the negotiations and presented this information. And, and so the world looks at it as well, you know, your, your representative signed off on it. That means your party to it. It's legally binding. And, and so now all know, of this. Do we even know who, I mean, there was no member of Congress present at the uh, Geneva, at the World Health Organization. Assembly. And I can, I can explain that. I understand, you know, um, Michelle Bachman was a former member of Congress, Congress who was, you know, paying attention to what was going on. This goes back to where we started in 1948 when we agreed through a joint session of Congress and Truman signed it, that's when the mistake was made. Congress shifted authority to the executive branch. Oh, you can handle it. That's the main reason why Congress and the Senate are not paying any attention. 75 years ago, that is when not necessarily gave up sovereignty, but shifted the balance of power from the people's branch of government to the executive branch of government. And we've been doing that for centuries now, turning our balanced, you know, three branches of government into a dictatorship by having the legislature continue to give authority, take it away from the people or the people's branch and give it to the executive branch. And so the power rests in the president to reject these and, you know, we can, you know, recall the president every four years, you know, vote him out of office or whatever, but their unelected delegates do not answer to the people. And that is the problem that was created 75 years ago. Now, the treaty that everybody calls a treaty is not really a treaty. It's a framework convention. And for people who are not familiar with that phrase, it is, you know, I would maybe go so far as to say it's evil incarnate, right? That, that might be an exaggeration, but it maybe got your attention to read the WHO CA plus chapter three, because what it would do is agree to set up a new bureaucracy called the Conference of the Parties. And it would give authority to this unknown group of people that would get selected by God knows whoever in, in the future to decide all of the protocols with this laboratory network and gain of function and, and you know, one health approach, it would transfer authority over to a bunch of unknown people to make decisions off into the future, the conference of the parties. That would include the delegates from the nations that decide to join, but also members of the corporations that make pandemic response products and United Nations agencies and places like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they would have a seat at the table to decide our future. Now, all I gotta really say is if you just go back to 1992 and look into what the United Nations agreed to, which was the Framework Convention on Climate Change, where they set up a conference of the parties that has been meeting on a regular basis deciding our future in regards to fossil fuels and alternative energy and carbon dioxide and all that sort of stuff. If you think that that has led us down the primrose path to destruction, that's what a framework convention does. And so for the simple reason that a framework convention that gives power to other people to decide your future without your input in the, you know, going forward, that's reason enough to stand up and say, no, we cannot allow this to happen. How do there we, are many, many, many more reasons. Let me tell how you. How do we disallow this to happen? Well, step number one is to understand 
you know, that this is what they're trying to do. People don't tend to take action if they don't know what's going on, right? So for many, many months, um, I've operated a website, um, exitthewho.com. Now, don't do a search for it because the search engines are not your friend. Just type in in your browser, you know, go to exitthewho.com. Currently, we've gotten 51 members of Congress to join Representative Andy Biggs, who submitted the bill. And what I encourage everybody to do as a starting point, understand what this is. You can call me anytime. I always give my phone number to people. It's 310-619-3055. That's how I probably got to meet you, and it's how I got to meet Michelle Bachman. It's how I got to meet Ray Malibu. Call me up if you have any questions. But the simple action anybody can take is if you scroll down on that page, the 52 members of Congress, all their contact information is there. They're clearly identified. They've, they're doing the right thing. So I encourage everyone to call their office. You're not going to get the congressperson. You're likely to get a staff member. And call them up and with love in your heart, say thank you. You guys are doing the right thing. This is wonderful. We support you. But it would be great if you talked to the two senators from your state and ask them why not one single senator in the country, not one of a hundred, has copied Andy Biggs's legislation and submitted it into the Senate as companion legislation. It's only a page and a half long. Why Andy, has not Andy, one senator done that? Andy Biggs is a congressman from what state? Arizona's District 5. Arizona District 5, Andy Biggs. And so you would say to your senator, uh, why have you not followed what Andy Biggs, and what's his proposal? Uh, how, how is it listed? What's the title of it? It's H.R. 79. Um, it's the WHO Withdrawal Act. If you go to exitthewho.com, all of the details are all right there, all the contact information for the members of Congress and so forth. And so, you know, this doesn't have to be um, an argument with people. Um, there are 52 members of Congress who are on our side. Reach out to our allies and put some wind beneath their wings and go, hey, thank you for doing what you've done. Let's get you to do more. We the people are behind you. Talk to all of the other Congress people. Talk to the senators and say, look, come on board. We've already got 52 people on the bandwagon. What are you waiting for? Right. So this can be done in a positive, loving you know, way, um, you know, by all means, you know, reach out and pray for a positive result, which, you know, I'm very optimistic because, you know, I feel that good is more powerful than evil. But evil has an opportunity if good people do not take action. And so there are many actions that people can take. The path is laid out. The WHO can negotiate whatever they want to negotiate. We can just walk away and say, we will not be a part of your evil plans. We choose a better path. And that path has been laid out by people like, you know, Michelle Bachman and Dr. Rima Labo and Andy Biggs and 51 other, you know, members of Congress. Um, it's, it's, there's much hope and reason for optimism, but that doesn't happen if you just sit down and don't take action. So if you have any questions, by all means, reach out to me. Be more than happy you know, to help clarify any of the confusion. But um, I'm optimistic that um, good triumphs in the end, but it requires good people to take action and do good things. And you know, I'm, I'm sure many of your um, viewers are in that category. So let's all come together and, and work to make this happen. Do we need, if, if if the majority of the House, let's just start with the House of Representatives, uh, were to pass H.R. 79, the Who Withdrawal Act, it would then go to the Senate. Well, you know, it can it can happen concurrently. That thus the idea of having companion legislation. You know, oftentimes um, members of the House and Senate work together. They submit similar bills, and 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 you know. It's a very simple bill. Now, you know, getting into the politics of it, right? Um, we're 14 months out maybe from the next election, and I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole about, you know, election integrity and all that sort of thing. But from the positive view of praying for the future that you want to see, right? 
go out into your community to whomever may be you know attempting to run for office in 2024 and ask them a simple question do you support this or are you against this do you think that we should you know give billions of dollars to the who to do the things that they want to do or should we leave and put your time effort money support and prayers behind people who give you the answer that you want to hear in, in regards to this issue. This is going to be an issue over the next 14 months. There's going to be a new Congress and hopefully there will be a new and different administration in the White House. The powers that we're you know, operating against take the long view. And so I take the long view as well. Whoever gets elected into office from top to bottom in 2024 and comes into office in 2025, I'm working to organize we the people so that whoever is sitting in those offices is going to have to face an organized group of people who want out of the WHO. And so the environment will change if we can envision in our minds what we want in 2025. And I'm very optimistic that it's going to be a better world, but I'm, you know, it, it just doesn't magically happen if you sit on the couch and do nothing. So the, if the House passes it, Senate passes it, it would have to go to the occupant of the White House for a signature. Correct. Correct. What? And, you know, um, my prayers are such that in 2025, we will be viewing a new and better world. It may get worse before it gets better. Okay. But help me on the timeline. Already by that time, these amendments will have been approved and enacted because we're talking about in May. Of, uh, well, of I, I can give you I can give you a very specific detail. It's one of the reasons for my optimism. Okay. Um, the changes that were adopted last year, but have not yet come into um, legally binding. Uh, uh, force, what they tried to do, what the Biden administration tried to do was shorten the rejection period from 18 to six months. They were taking the long view. And if you get out your calendar um, from May of 2024, six months forward from that, the Biden administration would still be in office. And so they tried to shorten it so that it would go racing right through. But pushback made it change to 10 months. Well, 10 months from next May brings you to the very end of March. So the legal authority to reject any and all of these amendments um, would extend into the next administration. So we all have to work together to make sure that whoever is in office, top to bottom, you know, down to your local school board, right? Um, they are aware of this issue and you know where they stand on it. Because the way this all works is it filters down and it's really local people that are the ones who are going to be attempting to enforce any of these dictates. You're going to have to deal with your schools, with your you know, local police, local city councils, local county officials. It comes up from the bottom and it goes all the way to the top. We, the people, have to get organized top to bottom to let everyone know that we, we have control over our bodies. We have control over our health decisions, not local, state, government, or, or the national government, but certainly not the WHO. And so we have an educational job in front of us. I have every faith that we can do it. And the end result, you know, like I said, it may get crazy over the next year or so, but I have a vision of a much better future going forward. And, you know, that's what I'm praying for and that's what I'm working for. Uh, James, it's interesting. The only interviews I've ever heard on this topic are the ones I've done here on the World Prayer Network. I listen to the news every day. I don't remember hearing. I may have heard this on Tucker Carlson back when he was on Fox once. I, I may have, I think. 
I, I can't even recall hearing much on Newsmax on this. Uh, I certainly wouldn't expect to hear it on the other networks, but I, this is remarkably uh, under the radar of most Americans. They're not aware. Are you doing a lot of interviews on any? Well, you're probably not you know, I've, 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 I've lost track. I think over the last year and a half, I've probably done 500 interviews, right? So it is very under the radar. It's so under the radar, it, it passed a little bit under your radar. But it's a pleasure to meet you and, and, and your wife and your audience. And, um, you okay. know, uh, question being in terms of in terms of the major markets, uh, this interview is not a major market. Our market yeah. is small. But in terms of major markets, have you been on? Have you been on Fox? Have you been on Newsmax? No, they they don't want the people to know about this. That's okay. that's that's the whole point. And and so you know the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I wake up every morning and I say, God, what do you want me to do today? And then I get a call from someone like you. I go, thank you, God, and you know go forward from there. Um, part of the problem with the mainstream media, and no offense to Tucker Carlson. But last year, um, I got a phone call after after the Biden um, amendments were kicked to the curb and then they resubmitted them and all that sort of stuff happened. I got a call from a friend of mine who said, oh, I saw you on Tucker Carlson. I'm like, really? I don't remember being on Tucker Carlson. I've never spoken to the man. Um, he said, oh, no. You know, I said, well, send me the link. I thought maybe they had taken a clip or something from an interview and, and played it. So I watched the whole thing. and. I'm nowhere to be found. So I called my friend up. I'm like, what were you talking about? He said, oh, well, they were talking about the treaty. And and so, again, no offense to Tucker Carlson, but last year in May of 2022, the treaty did not exist. It didn't come into its first working draft until July 13th of 2022. So the mainstream media that was reporting on whatever they were reporting on last year were giving misinformation. They weren't talking about the amendments to the IHR that I was talking about. They were misleading everybody talking about a treaty. And, and so um, the last thing in the world I care about is whether or not mainstream media wants to have me present my information because i've i've had experiences that I relate to you privately back in in the past their goal is not to inform people their goal is to do what their advertisers want them to do and i'm in direct conflict with that so for them to have me on would you know be like matter and antimatter coming together they don't want of people to know the truth. They want people to continue to pay attention to the facade. And so, you know, we live in an age of deception and I'm just trying to shine light on the facts and that's in direct conflict with what mainstream you know, media's job really is. One of the things that has, is so disturbing is how they define pandemic. Uh, pandemic now includes once John Kerry arrived at the World Health Organization, the assembly there in Geneva, it was pretty clear that he, he cited his daughter, who's a, a physician. In fact, she introduced him, 46-year-old daughter, I believe. <clears throat> and she said, my daughter taught me that all illness and disease is rooted in climate change. So pandemic is now climate change. Secondly, pandemic is guns. And then the third one that is bizarre, I read a definition the other day, that a pandemic is includes infodemic, information that's misinformation or disinformation based upon what they say is misinformation. Are, are, are those stated in these amendments, something like that at all? And then when you talk about the amendments, pick out, I know you said there's 300 or so of them. Uh, of the, the most egregious, pick the three or four most egregious, what these amendments do in removing basic human rights and substituting other phrases. So I'm giving a two-pronged question, definition of pandemic, and then what these amendments really do. Well, you know, the abuse and redefining of terms is part of the grand, you know, evil deception. And so the word pandemic is not 
defined in the international health regulations. The first like eight or nine pages of Article One are definition of terms. Okay. And one of the things that I discussed with Michelle Bachman in our very first conversation, and she literally, when she heard this, she screamed, I'm surprised you didn't hear it. <laughs> does the does the date um January 19th, 2017, ring a bell. I'll let you stew on that for a minute. January 19th, 2017. The CDC put forth a final um, ruling on many things related to emergencies and quarantines and things like that. And they had a whole bunch of new definitions. And one of the definitions that they changed was um, what an invasive test procedure might be. In the international health regulations, if somebody wanted to stick something up your nose, they would have to get your informed consent to do so. That would be considered invasive. But the CDC changed the definition of that and put forth that final ruling on January 19th, 2017, which was the very last full day of the Obama administration. And when Michelle heard that, she was like, oh my God. And, and so the changing of terminology, a year or so more ago, I was listening to one of the meetings about the negotiations for the um, framework convention. And one of the delegates stood up and said, I think that we should start out by defining these terms, pandemic being one of the terms. And the powers that be said, oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll do that later, right? So they had a meeting, I think in July, where the issue came up again, and you know they have a working definition in their document for a pandemic, and it might as well say, if you wanna say there's a pandemic, then there's a pandemic, because that's what the situation currently is under the international health regulations. They don't use the word pandemic, they use the acronym FAKE. Now, you can't make this stuff up, P-H-E-I-C, is a public health emergency of international concern, fake. The director general doesn't need to have any data. There's no criteria. There's no definition that says if X percent of people are sick or dying, then you get to let everybody know there's an emergency. The power is given to the director general to declare a fake anytime he wants. And that's how they like it. And they want it to be more like that with the proposed convention, um, framework convention, they're bouncing around the term pandemic, but you have to realize this framework convention is not what you think it is. It's got nothing to do with any health related anything. If you actually read the Bureau's draft of the WHO CA plus from June 2nd, it's a venture capital prospectus. They want to build laboratories, have a pathogen access and benefit sharing system. It, it doesn't want to deal with anything health related. It's all about controlling the money, setting up a cabal of people who run a cartel to seek out pathogens with pandemic potential so they can fear monger. The control is going to come down to a local level your school board, your county commissioner, your mayor, city council, all that sort of stuff. So they don't want to be seen as the bad guy. They want to make all the decisions, pass those decisions on quietly and have the control happen on a local basis, pretty much the same way it did for the last four years. What's your website so people can go there? If they didn't follow all of this, they can go there and, and learn a lot more. Um, the hard part is spelling my name. Um, it's James Roguski, J-A-M-E-S-R-O-G-U-S-K-I dot substack dot com. James Roguski dot substack dot com. And I encourage everybody, if you have a question, give me a call. 310-619-3055. I've met some wonderful people around the world. Be happy to meet each and every one of you. Okay. He's, he's getting his so, phone number out. That's that's pretty gutsy, pretty great. So I'm going to repeat it because he went by pretty fast. 310-619-3055. If you call him, 
get right to the point of what you want to ask him immediately. Well, you know, I got a, I got a call the other day from this guy, Jim um, Garlow, down in um, San Diego way. Um, and, and, you know, here we are. So. <laughs> and, then, and then James, you know how to spell that, Rogowski, R-O-G-U-S-K-I, let's see, dot, Subsplash, sub, Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Substack, okay. Substack, we're on Substack, but Substack.com. Did I get that right? That is correct. And uh, if they, they want, if they email you, do you want to get that out as well? Um, yeah, it's, it's james.roguski at gmail.com. J-A-M-E-S dot R-O-G-U-S-K-I at gmail.com at gmail.com with a dot between James and Rogowski. And the dot is not in the website for Substack. Correct. Uh, uh, I, I want you to, if you, if you could, as a cap off, we're going to finish now and then go to prayer. Can you top line this for us as like a headline? In other words, if, you, if, if, if I was starting this interview and I said, James, I have a grand total of 180 seconds. I want you to top line. This is this is hard to do. Doctoral students who write their dissertations, they'll be asked, give give us an explanation of your doctoral dissertation in three sentences. They can't do it. It's pretty hard to do. But I'm going to ask you, give a top line for the person who's going, wow, this is a lot. In in uh, 180 seconds, how would you top line or headline this for people so they grasp what they have just heard? I don't, I don't think I'm going to need 180 seconds, but here we go. And it's probably not going to be what you expect. Um, my view of what is going on is, you know, we are in the middle of a test of our character. And you either choose God or you choose the other guy. And so you have to look inside yourself and decide what is good and what is evil. And I'm relatively sure that everybody who's listening to this is going to come down on the side of good. And, and so there are many people out there who are being faced with that choice. Many of them have made a choice to support evil. And by all means, give them every opportunity to be saved and come on over to the good side. But many people are confused because this is an age of deception. And so you can get lost in the details, right? Really, all you have to do is stand with God and say, I stand on the side of good against evil. It may be hard to know which is which at any given point in time and who's who at any given point in time. But between you and your creator, what's in your heart, you can't hide it. So the starting point is to make that choice and show your character. And I trust that everyone here will make a, a choice that is in alignment with everyone else here. But you got to realize that a lot of people out in the world are confused. And so you can't necessarily win them over with data or information because it's a heart thing. You either know in your heart which side you are on. And if you're confused about it and they're trying to take God out of school and God out of you know country and God out of everything, um, this isn't about the WHO just, it isn't about the United Nations. This is a battle between good and evil. And if you just pray and say, God guide me to do what is right, um, and then do it, <laughs> okay? It isn't just thinking about it. It's actually asking for guidance. Uh, the only thing I ever really pray for is um, guidance, strength, and protection. And whatever guidance I get, I do my best to follow it. Um, I encourage everybody to do the same. If you are right, that is not the route I expected you to go. But that was a noble statement, a remarkable statement. Rosemary, would you pray for James? And we're going to go into more prayer. Father, we thank you for James as he has given us the prescription for survival and eternal salvation. We thank you, Father, that you've made the gospel so simple that we can come to you confess our lack of ability to save ourselves, to receive you as our Lord and Savior and ask for your guidance. So Father, I thank you for James and that he is, even as his name says, a great apostle, 
in this end time move when you are sifting nations, God, you are sifting individuals. And we pray, Father, that even more as wonderful and as clear as this message has been, will, will you just place a powerful anointing even greater than he has thus far upon his words that would strike and enlighten the hearts and minds and souls of men and women around the world to wake up and to receive the truth, to receive you, Lord God Jesus. We thank you for him. We ask for divine protection that you continue to give him favor and divine appointments. Lord, as he is on this type of treasure hunt to un to disclose and reveal the hidden um, works of darkness, Father, you will equip him more and more supernaturally, Father, that he will come up not only with um, revealing their strategy, but Father, you will give him the solution. You will give him the answer. You will give him the key that will um, stop and will lock up this wickedness and stop it once and for all. We thank you for his life. Bless him now. Continue to um, to um, guide him and give him access to even higher echelons in our government and the governments of the world for good. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rosemary. And thank you, James. This is a real honor to have you on. We'll want to have you back on again with your permission to give us an update at an appropriate time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.